You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. The reading's taken from Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Jesus calls the first disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The great educationist Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Ken Robinson, said this, a bit reminiscent of Jesus' words. Ken Robinson once said, whatever you do for yourself in life dies with you. Only those things that you do for others have any significance beyond your death. Sobering words, but focusing words, aren't they? Whatever we do for ourselves while we are alive dies with us. Those things we invest in others live on and continue to make an impact, in fact, build impact. That, of course, is the extraordinary thing about the life of Queen Elizabeth. So what we've done, to follow on from the prayers we prayed, is um, we have this book. And it's a book of condolence. And it's got lots of pages in. And we're going to leave it around the Oasis Centre for the next 10 days. But we'd love you to uh, sign it and take a whole page and add any message you want. And then what we're going to do is we're going to wrap it up in ribbon and we're going to deliver it to the royal family. Because we want them to know that we've noticed the service of this wonderful woman over the years. Only those things that you do for others last beyond your life. Um, Some years ago, more years ago than I can remember, to tell you the truth, um, I got a letter from the Queen who decided that she wanted, I'm sure it was others who decided for her, to give me an MBE. Anyway, I went along to Buckingham Palace, and uh, this was yonks ago, and uh, I went along to Buckingham Palace uh, with Cornelia and my mum, who was alive, and Cornelia's mum, who was alive then, and um, I met the Queen. And she gave me this medal thing, and she said to me, she said to me, she said, she's always incredibly well informed, as you would have heard people say, about everything she said to me she said my officials tell me that I'm to give you this for your services to exclusion (laughs) and then she smiled and she said I jolly well hope that's not what it is (laughs) and I said you know before you're told to call on ma'am and not mom and all this kind of stuff like ham and jam and all that that's how they gear you up for this and all the rest of it 
And, uh, but then I go into this chat with her and never did all that stuff. I said, yeah, I said, I was worried about that myself. I said, you should employ better people around here. And she said, you're right, we should. They really need to know the difference between inclusion and exclusion. We have to work for inclusion. And so the conversation continued. That's what we do. We work for inclusion. This little series of, of talks over the next four weeks is called How to Change the World. There is that famous day um, some years ago at the end of the last millennium when that student, that unknown student, dared to stand in front of uh, a trail of 14 tanks, actually. There's only three of them in the picture. That famous picture taken, standing in front of those tanks in Tenement Square and stopping them. And, of course, the story is that every time they manoeuvred to get past him, he just moved over and moved over and moved over until they gave up. How to change the world. It's so easy to believe that we're insignificant, that we can't make much difference. The truth is that all change in the world really comes about conversation by conversation, relationship by relationship, becoming involved. And the more we're involved, the more opportunity we get, and the less we're involved, the less opportunity we get. So, over the next four weeks, we're looking at Oasis Theology of Church and Hub. What makes Oasis Church tick? And so it's been brilliant, hasn't it, that presentation that we've just seen on what some of what happens through the Oasis Centre and advice and support that's given. But that's just part of what we do. Here's a brilliant quote that I'm sure you've heard before from Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. You may think that that's a little bit of hyperbole, but the truth of the matter is, the deeper you think about it, the more you realise that it's actually the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Every change comes about because a small group of people are committed to something and they will not give up. And because they will not give up, slowly the world is turned around. An interesting example, of course, of that is King Charles himself. I remember when he talked about ecology and people just ridiculed it constantly as this guy's a prince, he's got nothing to do, so he's twittering on about nothing. All of a sudden, everything comes front and centre. And the truth is that his work in that area has pressed and forced through frustration for that. Big change comes about when, when people, ordinary people, get involved. Now... The Bible reading we just had is a wonderful one. So it's a very short one that uh, Verity read to us. And let me remind you of the content of it. It's simply that Jesus goes down to the Sea of Galilee and he sees these fishermen and he says to them, come, follow me. We live in an extraordinary um, moment, really, when so much of the church, as you know, 
likes to take literally every single verse, even though they take it out of context. And there's a ton of you <coughs> sat here right now who've had the Bible used against you as a weapon because people take a verse out of its context literalistically and they use it to punish another person rather than reading context. But here's the extraordinary thing about Jesus' statement, follow me. For all the literalists in the world, this is the one verse that should be taken literally but never is. If you understand the Bible in its context, you need to be able to understand that, and you will understand the difference between um, stuff that's poetic, stuff that's metaphorical, stuff uh, that, that leans into something else, and statements that are just plain literal. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself isn't a metaphor for anything. It is a statement about loving and serving others. Those who want to be greatest must become the servants of all. It's an actual statement. It's not a metaphor. It's not an allegory. Jesus said, follow me. And the extraordinary thing is the whole church has turned it into a metaphor. Follow me. What Jesus really meant was... Have a chat about it. Go to a Bible study. Hold a prayer meeting with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. I remember some years ago uh, being asked to do an assessment for uh, some uh, uh, Christian uh, bookshops uh, uh, in the country. There used to be huge numbers of these things and there aren't many uh, any anymore, are there? But they, uh, they asked me that distributors that used to be based in Carlisle actually asked me to go to Carlisle and they asked me to speak this thing but they asked me if I would help them assess the best discipleship course in the country and uh, we arrived at their their offices it used to be called send the light and um and they'd set out these different bible uh, discipleship courses there were four week ones and six week ones and eight week ones there were ones that were on video and ones that just had a workbook. There were some that had glossy coloured books that you could follow and a video. There were some that had notes for the leaders. There were some that had suggestions about a meal at the end or a meal at the beginning. There was one that even set out some menus that you could try at the meal at the end. I think it was uh, that one. And they asked me, to, with a group of others to talk about what was the best discipleship course. It's an extraordinary thing. The one that they chose, I remember uh, stating how I felt about it then. I hope I did so graciously. But the one that was chosen was a, was a discipleship course which you could do on any of the evening of the week with a group of friends over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee if you were a Baptist, because they don't do glasses of wine. And you could do in the comfort of your home, and then you'd get, all get together and have a big meal at the end. The reality is that's not discipleship. It's not what Jesus was talking about. It's nowhere near it. When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't mean come round my place on a Wednesday night for a chat over a glass of wine. 
The other thing I've noticed about so many discipleship courses, there are so many, because they all have different emphases. I know a very famous one that has a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit, and I know another very famous one, and I know the writers of both, who invented theirs because they didn't want to give so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit, more so they felt was necessary on the concept of sin. But in the end, both of them are just chats around a fireside. Jesus said, follow me. And guess what? It's not a metaphor. He says to Simon Peter and his brother, he says, leave your nets, leave it behind and follow me. This is a different way of living and a different way of doing things. Here at Oasis, it's really easy, isn't it, to end up thinking, well, there's the Oasis Church and we meet on Sundays and some of us are in small groups and, you know, we now have the offer that we can go, you know, we can get involved a little bit if we like in the Oasis Centre. And, and then we also know that in Waterloo, Oasis runs a primary school. It's jolly good that Oasis does that, but we go to the church. And they run a secondary school. And that's even better. Well, it's good. And, and yeah, that's really good. And there's Oasis, I think they also work in the A&E at the hospital. And, and then there's the farm. Yeah, that's called Oasis too. And it does that. And, and then they do this and then they do that. And then there's this food back thing that somebody started and probably they part of the church somewhere. That's a wonderful thing they do. All of this stuff is us. It's all us. It's not different to us. It's not just stuff that has the same name as us. Everything that Oasis does in this community, everything comes from the church and is part of us. It is us. We, not me, we are responsible for 250 children in a primary school, responsible for 700 and something children in this secondary school, responsible for all of the advice services, responsible for what's happening in the hospital, responsible for what's going on in the farm, responsible for the children's centre down the road, Oasis Play Space, responsible for everything that happens in this community. It literally was born out of our concepts that discipleship isn't a chat over a glass of wine. Discipleship is about the surrender of ourselves because whoever wants to be the greatest must always become the servant of all. That is our commitment, always. I remember when I, I'm not the senior leader of this church anymore, Nathan is, but I remember when back in the days when I first came here, that the front door was always there. Um, the church all used to face that way, kind of, and there was a big stained glass window down that end, some of you be able to remember, and a little platform uh, down there. And um, I remember one uh, uh, service when, um, when people sat around and uh, we'd, we'd, had, we'd had a sermon and then there was a, a song and I remember two people nipping out during the song because after the song we were going to have communion, bread and wine. And remember that Jesus says, when you do these things, 
you are like me. Do these things in my name. Take this bread and take this wine because this wine symbolizes my blood and this bread symbolizes my body which is broken and given for you. So do these things in my name. Again, not so much of a metaphor, but let's do this, serve this way, live this way, live the way I live. But as we were preparing for the communion, well, as we were singing a song that, and we'd announced that we'd leave into the communion, two people who were in the church, I saw them because I stood at the front, they nipped out those doors and they had a fag on the, um, uh, on the uh, front there, you know. They just stood there you know, sucking through these cigarettes as quickly as they could do to get a kind of injection of nicotine. And then they came back into uh, the church and we had the communion service. After the service, uh, someone in the church, I heard this happen, wandered up to them and gave them a thorough telling off. I overheard it. A thorough telling off. And they said this, what you did was a disgrace. They used those words. It was a disgrace. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Actually, what was said to them was the disgrace. Grace always offers itself to people and begins where they are and works with them. The disgrace was the way that those two people were treated. Our way of doing discipleship, which I have found through my life to be genuinely the deepest and the best ever, is to serve, to become a servant. In our society, more and more, we seem to believe that leadership can be detached from service. That if you lead, you've somehow graduated from the apprenticeship school of serving people into the higher echelons of leading people. You can only lead from the ground. You can only lead from within. You can only lead by serving. You can only learn through serving because we only learn by doing. And we learn by our mistakes, don't we? We learn by the stupid things we say as well as the wise things we say. We learn by the things we didn't do. We learn by the social media that we wished we'd not spent so much time reading or responding to or the things that we'd not said or done. We learn all the time, learning by serving, learning by involvement. We run a giant food bank here, as you know, but the food bank began when a small group of people sat down and decided to uh, send some Christmas boxes of food to Johanna School, which we didn't run. And I think I'm right in saying that that Christmas time, we managed to get five boxes of food. That was it. And we dispatched them to Johanna for the five families who needed that economic provision most. And through doing that, two things happened. One is, the real, one is the food bank slowly grew until now. Who knows? You know, I'm not up to speed. We work, we work 
round the clock and every day with all manner of businesses in the community and the GPs and the hospitals and other churches in a huge enterprise. But the other thing that grew through our service, because it was hard work, some of you were involved in the days that followed as every fourth Saturday we used to go down to Tesco's and stand and collect food as the, as the food bank grew. But as all that happened, our relationship with Johanna developed as well. And eventually Johanna became part of Oasis, Oasis Academy Johanna. And because we were serving in Oasis Academy Johanna and we realised the needs of some of those families and those young people leaving that school but not having a secure secondary education to go to, we emptied out all Oasis offices here and with the government we set up Oasis Academy South Bank. And because we were serving those kids, but we realised that even though they did well at GCSEs up to the age of 16, but actually what was there for them to bridge them after that through to 18, we gave up some more offices, uh, which was tough all the way, let me tell you, it still is tough. And we gave those offices and we started a sixth form. And because we cared about these uh, kids that we were working with, a uh, long time before we set up the secondary school, over 10 years, perhaps uh, 15 years ago now, we began talking to the hospital and we began working in the A&E department. The church, I mean us, you know, not someone else that we paid to do it. And because we did that, then one day they, the hospital said to us, hey, we've got some scrap land here and would you like to turn it into a farm? And the the stories go on, and I won't bore you with them, but what happens is when you serve, you grow, and opportunities grow. Our way of discipleship is to be involved. It's often said that Christianity and politics don't mix. Actually, anybody you hear that from has truly not read a page of the Bible with glasses on. The reality is that Jesus was not a preacher. I know we think he is. I grew up believing Jesus was a preacher because I went to a Baptist church and we had a preacher who stood up every Sunday, the Reverend Donald Munkham, wearing long black robes. When he marched into the church, we all stood for him and he stood in the pulpit. He was a lovely old guy, actually, it turns out. But, you know, I was scared stiff of him as a kid because he looked like Darth Vader as he stood there every Sunday bedecked by flowers dressed in black he just lacked the mask but the reality is the reality of it is that I grew up in a form of religion that was about preaching it was about hymns choirs and preaching sermons Jesus wasn't a preacher we seem to think that he was a wandering preacher no he was a social justice fighter Jesus did things, extraordinary things, provocative things, heretical things, which is what got him murdered in the end. He did stuff that really upset people, the religious leaders, the social leaders, the political leaders. He hung about with all the wrong people in all the wrong places. It was a disgrace. But of course, there was, was the disgrace and his was the giving of grace. 
Jesus did stuff, and I put it to you, even the very centre of our faith today is about what Jesus did. There's a cross on the wall, not some verse of things he said. Jesus gave his life, he served, he became the greatest through his service and through his giving. And he calls us all to go the same way. Jesus was that heretical pot stirrer, that rebel who said, that's not justice, that's not right, that has to change, we'll do this. And he starts this movement, this church. I'm often staggered that Jesus says to Peter, uh, you're right, I'm the Christ, and on this rock I will build my church. Do you know that? that, yeah? On this rock I will build my church. And Peter, who's always, you know, he's never hesitant in coming forward, Peter, and none of the other followers of Jesus, not one of them when Jesus says, and on this rock I will build my church, not one of them says, what's a church then? I've never heard of a church before. What's that? They all knew what a church was. They don't question, they question everything Jesus ever says, but no one questions Jesus when he says, on this rock I will build my church. And yet they had no buildings, they had no PA systems, they had no PowerPoint, they had no choirs, they had no robes, they had no pulpits. They had no doors and stools. They had none of this. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he clearly wasn't talking about any of this stuff, which is rather lovely to have, especially in a country where it rains a lot. What he was talking about was my community committed to my values. Follow me. Literally follow me. Let's do life differently. Let's surrender ourselves for others. Let's give ourselves to others. Let's invest ourselves. Now, I know some of you live in this community, this geographical community, and all of you are part of this community. So there's stuff that we can do here in this geographical community, but we're called to serve as well in the communities where we work. It's not that you go to work to earn some money, and what's really important is church on Sunday. That's a community where God has placed you, where you work, the people you work with, the adults, the kids, the families in the community where you live, your street, your neighbour, the ones that really get on your wick. That's where God has called us, you, me, to serve. So, Jesus is someone who stands up for justice. Love others as you love yourself. I've come to lift the yoke. I've come to set the prisoners free. I've come to bring hope. This is the year of Jubilee for everyone. I've come to do these things. Social justice, benefits, public health, public services, community, economy, opportunity, societal role, rights, education, social, social insurance, labour law, American spelling, honesty, social privileges. All of those things are our agenda as Oasis. And that's why... As part of our vision and what we do, there's a primary school and a secondary school and the work in the hospital and this and that and all the other things that you can think of and things that you're involved in and the things that we will continue to invent and do. In the coming weeks, we're going to be, in the coming few weeks, um, next week and the week after, we're going to be talking a lot about what we're going to roll out because of the cost of living crisis. We haven't we? We've been getting ready for October the 1st for a long time. When that, um, when that cap is, is raised, 
and uh, people will not be able to afford, no, it's not just choosing between heating and eating, it's not heating or, uh, or eating, uh, neither of them. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what we are going to be, we, the church, are going to be doing, because it's us, it's all us. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is the best form of discipleship in the world. The things we do for ourselves die with us. The stuff we invest for others, it lasts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you called us to join you, to surrender our lives, to give ourselves in the service of others. And we thank you that you also promised us this, that as we surrender ourselves, we find ourselves. We find hope, we find life, we find meaning, passion, purpose, fulfillment. We thank you that it's in giving that we receive. It's through giving that we grow. So we sit here before you as a congregation, as a community, as a church at the beginning of September, as we head into this winter, this new academic year, this back to school month and all of those things, we pray that this winter we might be available to you and that through this winter we will see this church grow, grow because the good news that Jesus brings to others through us impacts them so that they too become your followers. Follow me, said Jesus. Lord, we choose to follow you.